Excellence Expected, the inspirational business advice podcast. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Excellence Expected with me, Mark Asquith. All right, thank you so much as ever for pressing that play button today. I know you guys are busy running your businesses, getting inspired, getting motivated. So taking the time out to join me today means the world. So thank you so, so much for doing that. And this episode is actually rather curious. It's something that I'm really keen on learning a little bit more about myself. And the topic that we are going to challenge today is innovation. Innovation, a word that we hear so, so, so much during our daily grind that actually sometimes it loses its meaning. What does this mean? What is it? How can we start to integrate innovation? How can we move forward, be innovative in our business? And that is what we are going to challenge today. And on this episode, I have a fantastic guest, someone with a wealth of experience in this area. My guest today is the founding partner of Epiphanies LLP a people development consultancy focused on leadership, performance, and innovation. And working across the globe with several, several big blue chip companies with clients including M&S, Royal Mail, Centrica, and Tetra Pak. Welcome, Mr. Dominic Irvine. Hello. Hello, sir. So what an interesting topic. Innovation is something that we hear every single day in probably actually now all walks of life. It's something that we can't get away from. And we are going to challenge that. We're going to look at that and we're going to look at how entrepreneurs and business owners can embrace that and move forward. But before we do, Dominic, would you mind just sharing what is Epiphanies LLP and what's your background, sir? So Epiphanies LLP is an organization that exists to uh, help develop people. And the essential tenet of it is we're about challenging the way people think. We're about help people people think differently about what they do, about how they perform, about how they go about uh, leading their businesses in effect. And, and ultimately, it's about profitable thinking. We want to help people profit by the way they think. So that's the that's the essence of the organization. We're a fairly small boutique organization. As you say, uh, we work across the world. We've worked in about 31 different countries now with, with a range of multinationals. And that must just open your eyes to so many different challenges. And I, I would imagine that innovation is something that crops up probably every single day for you in various different guises and people wishing to be more innovative, people actually succeeding and failing from innovation. And I think it's a really interesting topic. So let's just get a bit of a definition on that. In your eyes, Dominic, what actually is innovation? How can we sum that up for people? <laughs> it's, it's a great question, isn't it? Um, well, we, in its simplest, there's a guy called John Henry who defined innovation as creativity with a job to do. And I love that definition because what essentially it means is not good enough about uh, just to come up with new ideas and fantastic new ways of doing things. It's about translating that into practical things you can actually do in the business that deliver a business result. So if we think about creativity with a job to do, then the next thing we need to think about with innovation is there are different types of innovation. So the thing that most people often think about is the, the big blue sky, radical, disruptive innovation that comes along that changes the world, you know, whether it's the digital camera or the iPad or whatever else it might be. And yes, that is an important dimension of innovation, but they're very rare. They're very disruptive. They take 
often decades to come to fruition in terms of the development of those things. And so actually that's quite hard for us in business to always be thinking about disruptive innovation. Another type of innovation is incremental innovation. And that's where we take an existing idea and develop it along a, in, an, along a pathway, either exploiting more technology or by combining it with other uh, capabilities or skills or whatever in order to create the next evolution or development of that particular idea. And when we think about innovation, probably in business, 80%, 90%, probably even more of the innovations we talk about are incremental in nature rather than disruptive. But fundamentally, if it doesn't deliver a change in business performance, if it doesn't result in you doing something, it's not innovation, it's just creativity. I love that quote. I love that quote, creativity with a job to do. That is the best summarization of innovation that I've ever heard. I think that's fantastic. It's great, isn't it? Really, really, really good. And that is something that I'm, I'll probably I'll probably start to use that myself because you get <laughs> well, out. <I'm> not, um... <laughs> You get asked so many times about it, you know, how can I innovate? How can I innovate? And actually, what kind of question is that? How can I innovate? That is such a broad ranging question. I guess it is rooted from what is within the business currently and what the challenges are and so on. And I just want to lead on to that because obviously working with so many multinational blue chips, you must see various ways of innovating, various guises that innovation takes. And I want to just talk about the catalyst for that really. What actually... What forces people to think about innovation within their business? Is it a reaction to the market? Is it something that's happened? Is it is it a, a world of other things that is just dependent on the business itself? How does that kind of manifest itself? So I think, I think you raised two interesting points there. The first of which is we need to think about innovation, therefore, as a process. If it starts off with creativity and it ends up with doing something, it actually involves a, a, an innovation pipeline, as it were, that goes from ideation, which is developing ideas, to the process of evaluating those ideas, to developing those ideas up to things you can take to the marketplace, to then actually testing those, to then scaling those up to a, a, a full-scale uh, product or service that you have out there. And so we can think about innovation as the challenges organizations face right the way through all of that chain. And often when you look at organizations, they might be doing aspects of it very well, but there might be other parts of it where they're struggling a little bit. So when we think about innovation, creativity with a job to do really helps us understand that whole process. Now, the next point you raised was about, well, why innovate? What's the reason for innovating? Well, I'd like, like to kind of stand back and just just look at the evidence of, of, of history for a second. And I, I'm going to step out into the kind of world of sport. If you take something like the running a marathon, well, in the London Olympics in 1908, the time it took to win the marathon was two hours, 55 minutes and 18 seconds, which is you know, an impressive time and it's, it's very good. If you go to 100 years later in 2008, when the London Marathon was held, the winning time there by Haile Gabriel was two hours, three minutes and 59 seconds. So in the space of 100 years, human performance has gone on by 52 minutes. Now, what becomes even more impressive is that there were over 700 people in 2008 who would have, quali who would have qualified for a gold medal had they been competing in 1908. So we don't stand still. We are constantly evolving. We're constantly developing. Things are constantly getting better. And, and just to stay in the position of, I've got a really great product. It's really good. Why do I need to worry about trying to improve it or change it? means that you're not just standing still. You're actually going backwards because the world around you is developing forwards, it's moving forward, it's taking advantage of developments, 
and it, it's it's developing its products and services. In the same way as if you bought a Porsche 911 in 1963, the power output was about 128 brake horsepower. In 2014, a Mini Cooper, you know, the sort of mid-range car uh, Mini, has 136 brake horsepower. So in other words, what was once high-performance, state-of-the-art, is now just bog-standard performance. So we have no choice. We have to improve what we do, because if we don't, we're going to lose out, and in effect, our business won't exist anymore. So that's the second part of it, is that we, the, the drive to innovate is that we have to keep improving. Whatever we do, however we do it, and changes in technology, changes in working practices, all those sort of things like that provide us with the opportunity for that development. That's really, really interesting. And, and I mean, the way that it's framed there with those real life examples, when you actually look at it in that context, it's enough to blow your mind. It's crazy. It's it's something that is very easy for people to react to. And I think the best businesses, you know, the apples of the world, very obvious example, the apples of the world kind of get out in front of that, don't they? And they anticipate what people are going well, to want or create that desire. Let's look at Apple, for example. So let me ask you a question. When was the iPad introduced? 2010, maybe 11. Bang on, 2010. Since 2010, which at the time of this uh, podcast will be a little under five years ago, so four years, 10 months, whatever, there's been six generations of iPad. So in just that short space of time, they haven't, not only have they, they carried on developing, they've carried on developing at an incredibly rapid rate in terms of what they're offering out there in the marketplace. It's a constant incremental innovation based on the first radical innovation, which is the iPad. That's a great example. The iPad comes in, it's a pretty disruptive innovation. It creates a whole new marketplace, which is one of the definitions of something being a disruptive innovation. It it either creates a new marketplace or it destroys an existing one. It creates this new marketplace. And since the inception of everything afterwards has been incremental in nature, but there's been lots of those incremental steps that they've taken in terms of the, the product that they offer. It is a really powerful example, isn't it? And it's something that I, I was only having this discussion yesterday with one of the guys at the studio and we were talking iPads and we were saying, well, look, tell me why you need an iPad. And no one had an answer. No one. No one needs an iPad. Everyone just wants an iPad. And that is that is the power of that innovation that you've created something that just generates such desire that we will buy iteration two, iteration three, iteration four. It's just amazing. And that advocacy that comes from it, it's such a holistic kind of outlook from Apple that they've got this entire ecosystem. And the entire thing, when you look back at the App Store, when you look back at the phone itself, when you look obviously at the iPad, even the all-in-one Apple computers, the Macs, right back to the first iMac, everything, that all-in-one, right back to the Apple One. It's constantly innovation. It's, It's basically saying, how can we disrupt the status quo and say, well, this is what people are going to want because of these several reasons. And I mean, yeah, and, if, and, and if you think about the iPad, I think what's interesting is it's not just the iPad itself, which is the, the the really truly radical disruptive innovation. It's what Steve Jobs did around creating the App Store and making it possible for a vast number of different people to write applications that could be used on that device. That's what's made the the, the iPad particularly useful and, and sticky in terms of its presence in all of our households is the fact that there's this wealth of ways in which we can interact with it that that suit our personal life that 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 we that we deploy to you know to to make our lives a little bit easier in some way and although people sort of say well you know what do i use it for actually people use it for consuming content and what the apps enable them is to consume the type of content in the way they want to consume it so the innovation of the ipad isn't necessary and this is an interesting point around innovation is that we often end up very very focused on 
on the product, but sometimes it's what sits around the product that offers us the greatest opportunity for innovation. So if we think about that in terms of just a product, so let's suppose you produce juices or something like that, and, and you've got a big installation line that packages up juices, puts them into cartons, and takes them out to the marketplace, and, and, and you do whatever you do with them. Changing the shape of the packages, changing the type of caps you've got on it is, is a big structural investment you've got to make in your, in your, in your factory. But you can innovate maybe around the social media space that sits around that package. You can innovate around the marketing that you do uh, that's associated with the product. You can do all sorts of things around the product that will actually help you sell more product rather than just simply thinking, what's the flavor that sits inside? What shape should that product be? So when we think about innovation, one of the challenges is not so much always thinking about, okay, I've got to innovate my product, but actually what else can I do that's going to drive value into my business? Can I innovate in terms of the way I run the finance function? Can I innovate the way in which I do supply chain and, 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 and become more agile in the way in which I procure services? So what are the dimensions exist within the business for innovation other than simply focusing on the product? And when you broaden that perspective, there's far more opportunities for us to go out and drive value than simply just thinking about the product itself. I think that's really important to remember as well, the different angles from a business perspective regarding innovation. So the two things that really spring to mind uh, for me straight away is you mentioned the marketing there and people are becoming and have to become in this world of distraction and lower attention spans and the iPads that are, are taking all of all of our time and our attention away from kind of traditional marketing. You know, people are having to innovate in terms of content. We spoke about it in the pre-interview chat you know, the content that's put out there, people are really, really, really having to innovate and really try and clamor for that attention that people want to give to someone. And it's, it's how do you actually get their attention to either sell your product or raise your brand awareness or just get your content in front of them. So I see the innovation in so many ways. Yeah. I mean, I think you're right, because if if you just think about it, the, the device we most have available to us at the moment is tends to be a mobile phone. And so your screen size is roughly four or five inches, whatever it might be, depending on the device you've got. You're competing for the space on that screen. So you're not just competing with, you know, if if you sell orange juice with someone else who manufactures orange juice, if you're trying to gain attention, you're trying to compete with the latest game they've got. You're trying to compete with the podcast they're trying to listen to. In this particular case, you're trying to compete with the, you know, browsing the news or whatever else it is. So the competition to, to get access to the consumer, to talk to the consumer, isn't competing necessarily against with other products. It's competing against all these other things as well. And so we have to think about, we have to think about the whole world in which we engage with, with our consumers very differently and, and the way in which we consume with our, our you know, business to business as well, different than we've ever had to in the past. I entirely agree with that. And massively, massively important for businesses to take a hold of that kind of content approach and that you know, getting something good quality quickly to people and making it really, really solid. And the other side of that coin for me is the customer service angle. You know, in this world of transparency and social media, people are expecting extra value and so much more service from brands and from companies than they've ever done before. And I think that's a huge space in which people are beginning to innovate a little bit further. You know, how can we use technology and marry our own ethics together to bring innovative customer service solutions? It's It's such a... It's such a far-reaching topic, isn't it? Again, you, you, you know, you're, you're you're right on the money again. I mean, that's a, that's an excellent point. And and what what I think, in effect, you're alluding to there is is open innovation. And when we talk about open innovation in, in the past, so let's look in the past. In the past, 
if you looked at something, say, like Porter's Five Forces and, and all that good quality strategic thinking, it was all about things you did with inside your business. And innovation was closed. It was done with inside the business. The business innovated and it took its new product out there to the marketplace. These days, we're talking about open innovation, which is how can I link in with other organizations and work with them in the way in which I develop innovation? But it's not just other organizations. It's also our customers. So here's an analogy for you. Let's suppose someone goes and builds a housing estate and they want to work out where to put the footpaths. Well, rather than actually sit down and say, okay, well, we think they should go here and here. If you just left it a few months and saw where people walked, eventually that would tell you where the right footpath, where the right place is for the footpath to go. And I think when we think about innovating, we can do that with our customers. What we can do is engage our customers in the journey of development such that using technology, we're bringing them into that creative process in order to understand much, much earlier, to get their feedback much earlier on in the innovation cycle, to work out, well, the equivalent of where we should put that footpath. So how should we develop that product? What is the right way of doing that? And you see that with Kickstarter projects. You see that where, where they, are, they are going back to the people funding them saying, well, we think we should do it this way or that way. What's your feedback? What do you think? And because, of course, with a Kickstarter project, you're, you, you've got a, an interest because you put a little bit of money into it, whatever else, you tend to get much more actively engaged with how you'd like it to be. And the result that comes out of it is much more likely to be successful when it goes out to the broader marketplace than it otherwise would be. So the idea of, of, of bringing the customer into the process early is really valuable. And you might think, actually, we want to be careful because we don't want to show them too much or, or whatever. There was a great piece of research that was published in the Harvard Business Review, I think it was last year, where they did some research in restaurants. And what they did was they, they looked at customer service and, and the customer experience and the quality of the food that was provided when you had an open plan kitchen or where the chefs could see the customers and the customers could see the chefs and where you had a closed situation where the, the chefs couldn't see the customers and the customers couldn't see what was being cooked. And what actually happened was is that is that customers rated the meal much better when they could see the chef preparing it and the chef made better quality food when they could see the customers consuming it. So there's a piece in here that feels a little bit counterintuitive is that if we involve people earlier in the, earlier in the innovation process, they might see things a little bit more clunky and so on, but they've got a much more vested interest. They can see the hard work that's taking place and they become more engaged with it. So open innovation is about establishing those connections. It's establishing those networks that where we bring people together to develop our products and, and develop what we take out there to the marketplace. And I think the consumers actually really like that. Your clients, your customers, the people that you service actually really value that because absolutely with Kickstarter, you've got a vested interest in what's going on because you have put some money into that. But likewise, if you've built a following, if you've built an audience through content, you know, there's a lot of podcasters out there, Tim Ferriss, Pat Flynn, John Lee Dumas, Michael Hyatt, guys out there, they're doing a fantastic job of building a tribe. And every product that they put out there is a direct reaction to that audience asking for that solution. And it's such a world of... As you say, I love the idea of open innovation. It's such a world of rapid response and rapid prototyping, openness, transparency, not only in communications, but in products and services that actually it's a win for everyone. If you innovate, if you embrace that innovation and take it out to the world, your customers, your clients benefit from a much better product. And actually you as a business benefit from so much more than that. So I think that is is such a fantastic placement of innovation. Just as we enter the last, sorry, go on, Dominic, you were going to say. I was going to say, just, just 
it works on a business to business environment as well. So you've been talking about business to consumer, which is absolutely right and, and very powerful. It also works business to business. You know, I, I was quite scared of doing this a few years ago because we design development programs for organizations rather than for consumers. And when we started to invite our clients into the development sessions for how we were looking at developing either their leadership programs or innovation programs, I was always a bit wary because I didn't want them to see you know, the kind of that thinking process and for them to worry about maybe we hadn't got it all thought through. But actually, when we did start doing that, we ended up not only with much better solutions because they were able to give us better insights, but they seemed to really enjoy the process a lot as well. And it was about, you know, having confidence in what you do in order to engage you know, with other people in that way. And, and the, the, the challenge I put out there for people who work in you know, business to business environments, if you think about who supports you out there, you know, the, the group of you know, consultants you might use, a network of friends, and those sorts of people that who help you with that, with, with what you're doing. The chances are you've known those people for longer than the team you work with in the organization. So when you think about your team, the question asked from an innovation perspective is, who is your team? It's a, is it that broader group of you know, support people who've been with you for decades, or is it the people you directly work with now? And the answer is it's both. And it's how you actually get value from both those groups of people in terms of developing new ideas and, 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 and how you're going to implement them that I think you know, open innovation takes us down the path of, of getting value from. I would imagine with a lot of business to business innovation, and, and especially when you're in the early days of it, people are perhaps not needed to do this because they've had a, a long-standing, high-quality product that really doesn't need to change. You know, I, I would imagine that's quite a fearful thing to do. You know, we're actually opening ourselves up to something that we've never done before, which is open, honest feedback on something that actually perhaps we're not overly comfortable with, and. That has got to be a challenge that faces small, medium, and corporate enterprises as well. Is that something that you find actually when you're working with these blue chips? Is there an element of Ooh, this is this is kind of new ground for us? Yes, there is, and 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 it's there is a fear, and uh, you know the fear comes with, and it's not the fear where you think it would be. It's not necessarily the fear about the ideas or whatever. Actually, more often, it's about it, it comes down to very human things that we don't want to be found out. We don't want to be found out not being capable of doing this sort of stuff or whatever else it might be. And it's those are actually the barriers that get in the way of genuinely becoming part of this and, and the fear of losing skill. You know, I mean, it's if you think back to just look at history, you know, the introduction of, of the typewriter and the reaction against that because the impact it had uh on 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 sort of work productivity and lots of people resenting it and you know this this is going to this shouldn't happen it's the wrong thing to be doing and then the introduction of word processing machines had the same impact oh we don't need computers the paper system works just fine every single time we come across new ideas coming on board there is a degree of resistance to it. and the resistance isn't that it's a bad idea it's the fear associated with whatever it is that you're trying to introduce that you've got to manage not necessarily the idea itself and that i think that i think brings probably brings on to one of the, the most important aspects around innovation is, is that it's not coming up with new ideas that's the difficulty because that's actually the relatively easy bit. The hardest challenge you will face is escaping from the old ideas. And, and, and history tells us this time and time again. If we go back even to the time of, of trying to solve cholera when, when Jon Snow was trying to work out you know, what was causing this bad outbreak of cholera in London, everybody thought it was bad air. And they allowed, the belief was so fixated that it was bad air that caused cholera rather than a, a, a germ that existed in the water system, that they allowed thousands of people to carry on dying and they wouldn't let him turn off the, the pump and remove the handle from the pump, which was the source of the outbreak of cholera, because they were just so fixated on it, it being caused by air. 
Now, once they did finally break through that, they, they immediately were able to identify that it was the cause of the outbreak. And eventually that led on to you know, the whole study of epidemiology and understanding you know, what caused illness and disease and things. And it was a big breakthrough in, in medical science. But it took a long time and a lot of people died as a result. And we saw the same thing with scurvy. You know, the, the cure for scurvy was discovered in the 1500s. But it wasn't until the late you know, 19th century that it was mandated in, by the, the Navy that, that, that sailors would be given rations of, you know, hence lime, you know, lime juice or whatever it was, to, that was rich in vitamin C to prevent scurvy. Meantime, hundreds of thousands of people have died. So the issue is not coming up with new ideas. The issue is escaping the old ways of thinking. And, and that's the biggest challenge we have in business. That's the biggest constraint that exists out there is the belief that, yeah, that's not going to work. That's never going to happen or whatever, because people are constrained by the way they're thinking now rather than the way things could be. That is insanely powerful because I think we've all fallen foul of that. I think we've all sat back on our laurels to a degree. And I think you're absolutely right. that The idea that we may get found out, our incapabilities may be brought to the fore. You know, I think that is a huge, huge thing for entrepreneurs, especially people that, Perhaps then they've created a business, a really solid, high growth business with great success and actually finding itself needing to diversify a little into an area that perhaps the founder or the CEO doesn't actually understand. You know, that is when challenges really, really crop up. And I think that that's so, so powerful. People just sat there listening now, you know, can probably identify that within themselves. So I think that's superb. And Actually, that leads beautifully on to the famous actionable tips section of the Excellence Expected Show. So, Dominic, I know you've been working on three really, really powerful tips for people out there wishing to dig in and actually move their company forward into more innovation. So let's dig into tip number one, please, sir. Well, tip number one is, and, and, and th these are quite big, chunky ones for, for people to think about, but, but they're based on the experience of, you know, of working with all these organizations and so on. Is going back to the point, innovation is creativity with a job to do. It's a process that starts from ideation, creating ideas, to implementing those ideas. If you are struggling as an organization to, to get new ideas out there in the marketplace, start from the beginning of the inception of the idea right the way through to the implementation phase and look at that whole process and work out where in that process are things starting to fall apart? Where is it not going right? Is it that you're coming up with lots of new ideas, but they're just somehow not making it beyond the initial concept stage? Is it that you're not actually generating ideas in the first place? Is it that you get great ideas, you develop them to concepts, they go through to pilot stage, but somehow you never manage to actually implement them onto the next stage as well? So where in your system is the innovation process failing? And a good way of doing that is to actually compare and contrast something that's failing with something that's actually managed to work and look at the differences between them. That's really, really powerful. I think we can all, again, look back into our businesses and see, in fact, I spoke to John Lee Dumas a while ago about, about this. You know, he's, he's famous for, for online content that really, really sells, really, really works. And he was saying about some of his early innovations that really, really failed. And, you know, it's having that honesty to really look back at them and appraise them very, 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 very honestly that sometimes we find challenging because at the end of the day, that is accepting that we didn't do something perhaps how we should have done. So I think that's really interesting. Take two examples so, of effective. So, uh, Go on, sorry. I was going to say that the tip I would add to that is imagine you're a consultant to your own business. So imagine you're looking at this business cold, coldly, clinically, analytically as to what's going on. 
rather than this is my business and, and I love it to pieces. But actually just standing back and being quite dispassionate about it. What, what Jim Collins in his book, Good to Great, called Facing the Brutal Facts. So what are the facts of what's going on in that process and, and begin to analyze what's happening in that, in that space? I love that. I did, did a business development session yesterday with a, a startup in, in, in that very same vein, analyzing what works, what doesn't work, what are their strengths, what are their weaknesses. And, you know, it's such a frank, open conversation that does take a lot of confidence, you know, to be able to open up like that. And I think when you start to do that, you can figure out where you can move quite easily and where you can move that may be more challenging. So I really, really like that. And let's move on to actionable tip number two, sir. So actionable tip number two is what we've learned from very successful organizations like Lockheed Martin with their Skunk Works and Google with the way in which they allow employees to have a go at developing their own projects and, and uh, those sorts of activities is that Failure is a really important part of innovation. And that might sound slightly counterintuitive, but a lot of our success in business, despite what we might like to think, comes down in part to a degree of luck, but it also comes down to failing often and learning from that failure. And what I'd encourage people to do is to take a project or take an issue uh, or something that they're working on and, and actually pilot that properly, create some space around that, Take away some of the rules and the constraints that normally exist within your organization. You know, perhaps that they've got to deliver a certain result by X or perhaps that, you know, however you set up the budgets associated or perhaps the reporting lines or whatever you do, but actually create a group that can work on something that's maybe freed up from some of those constraints and allow them to go out and pilot and allow them to go out and fail. But most importantly, learn the lessons from that failure. Have a really strong, robust review process in place. Now, that might be, you've, you know, if you look at your system, you've identified maybe where ideas are going wrong or whatever, that you're actually giving this group an opportunity to try doing it in a very different way. And you're going to protect them while they do that. Now, what that requires is it requires commitment from the top. It requires the, 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 the CEO, the MD, the owner, whoever else it might be to sort of say, okay, I am going to protect this group while they have a go at experimenting and exploring and I'm going to support them when they get it wrong. I'm going to encourage them to learn the lessons and go back and have another go and keep developing that way. But I'm going to give them the space to do that. And, and the lessons from all these great companies and the developments of some of the most fantastic products that are out there is that organizations have created that space for people in them. So I really encourage people to do that. That is something that I think more and more people are embracing. It's such a fantastic culture to have. And, and you know, when you turn that on its head, it does wonders for employee engagement and their loyalty to the business that you're in because they actually feel a part of that. So I wholeheartedly agree with that. And the third and final tip, sir. So the third and final tip is, is one that I'm going to give that can be used every day in most meetings by anybody in the organization as a way of beginning to drive a different way of thinking about how they might solve problems and therefore innovate new and different ways of doing it. And it's, it's simply the question, what if we couldn't do it that way? What if we couldn't do it that way? So for example, let's suppose you're sitting in a meeting and you would normally go and do a project and it would take six months to do it. If you ask the question, what if we couldn't do it that way? What if we could only do it in say two days? How now would we solve that problem? What if we had to do it with half the budget? How would we solve the problem? What if we couldn't do it that way because we've now got twice the amount of money? 
how would we go about solving that problem? What if we couldn't? What if we couldn't do it that way because we couldn't maybe work with company X or company Y or person? How would we go about solving the problem? And what that forces you to do, because we end up with this sort of one-track thinking where we end up saying, okay, that's the solution. We rush to accomplishment. We found an idea, and then we get buried in that idea about how we're going to make that idea work. What asking that question does is it forces you to stand back and say, I know I can do it that way because we've already come up with that great idea. How else might we solve this problem? And what I've learned in my experience of just asking a simple question like that is it forces all sorts of different ideas and different solutions for people to come up with that may end up when you begin to combine some of the best ideas with a whole better way of doing something that could be faster, save more money, uh, be more effective, whatever. But it just starts by asking that question, what if we couldn't do it that way? How else would we solve the problem? And it forces a different way of thinking. We do that so much actually naturally as well, don't we? It's something that we don't take hold of and consciously move forward into. But I can think back to examples in, in our own experience at the studio where it's, it's, okay, guys, we've got various constraints that we have to work within. That If we'd got this on the brief, perhaps we wouldn't have taken the job. But actually now we've got these constraints, well, look at that, we've solved it and it works really well. So, uh, Mark, that's just such a brilliant word, constraints. Innovation loves a constraint. So never see it. If only we had more money, more time, more resources, we could be more innovative. Rubbish. Innovation loves the constraints. The more constraints that exist, the easier it is to be innovative because you're forced to be innovative. So innovation isn't something that's out there for the wealthiest of businesses. Innovation is absolutely at the heart of the most constrained businesses. It's where the most fertile environment is for innovation. So I love the use of your word constraints there. Bang on the money for me. And that is a fantastic quote as well. Innovation loves constraint. That's fantastic. So Dominic, what a fantastic episode. That is packed full of not only really framing innovation for people out there who may be thinking, well, I hear this every single day. What does it mean for me? We've done a fantastic job of framing that. But also those three tips, Dominic, are fantastic. And I think the guys listening out there, you can really take hold of those and start to implement them within your business and actually start to move forward with that innovation that we all actually want to be a part of. So just before we wrap up, sir, would you mind telling people where they can find you online? So they can find us at www.epiphaniesllp.com. Super stuff. Check it out, guys. Dominic, it's been a real pleasure, sir. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. And guys, don't forget, as ever, all of the show notes, everything that myself and Dominic have spoken about today, along with all of the resources and all of Dominic's links will be available in the show notes at excellence-expected.com. Or if you are on a smartphone, you can get to those right now by pressing on your screen. And don't forget, if you are on excellence-expected.com, remember you can download your free copy of the essential 14-day guide to cutting your working hours and increasing your impact. And until next time, don't forget, the more you expect from yourself, the more you will excel. Bye-bye. <laughs>